Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor Steve Macias and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor. Welcome to episode number 64 of the Out of the Question podcast. My name is Reverend Steve Macias, and today's question is, does shielding children from a pagan culture just delay the inevitable? And this is an interesting question for us because we're in Christian education, working with children and families. And this is something that, Andrea, you have asked for us to talk about. And I think you have some interesting insights in here, having raised children, having helped people raise children, having helped people educate both in the private and homeschool environments. What do you think about this question? Does shielding our children just prevent or delay the inevitable? Well, I think my question that we're proposing here sort of is the kind of question that sets us up to really discuss the issue because I think people who know me and know the position that you hold and the position that Calcedon holds would say, of course not. But this is a question that comes up a lot. I hear it from teachers. I hear it from homeschool families. I hear it from people who are trying to figure out should they actually take their children out of public school or never put them in because the perception is, okay, that's great. You shield them for a certain amount of time. But then when they go out into the real world, they either are ill-prepared for what all these other students have been going through for years, they're shocked, and they sometimes don't fare very well. So the question is, is it uncharitable, in a sense, to do this to children when you're just setting them up to be targets when they leave the Christian homeschool or the Christian day school? That's where this question is coming from. It's a concern of people. That's right. And it uses those two loaded terms we see in in Christian discussions, sheltering. And there's another one here that gets thrown around a bit, socialization. And so I think behind this question is this idea that somehow in maybe a a public school environment or other non-Christian private school environments, that there is a benefit, uh, the parents think, of their children going through uh, this socialization or going through this process of having their faith tested by other kids. And I think that that's a a faulty premise. I've had people, and I I don't know if I'd use this exact terminology, but I've had people describe sending your child to a public school as sending your kid through a meat grinder, right? It's not so much that your child is going through and having their faith tested and strengthened and things, but rather they're going through and they're having their faith shredded to pieces. And So socialization is not preparing them to be better Christians. It's actually destroying the foundations that sheltering, that negative term we use a lot, sheltering is giving them. R.C. Jr. used to talk about uh, sheltering as a term that people use to, to mock Christian education or homeschooling. And he said that he would laugh at that because here are people accusing him of, of sheltering his children. Next, they'll accuse him of, of housing or, or feeding or clothing his children as well. So this idea of sheltering being a negative, I think, is completely backwards. I think that you can speak to how sheltering actually equips or benefits our children in their foundations of their faith. I'll do so with a number of analogies, all right? And the analogies I like to use, with, and I, I use this when I'm talking to parents, is when you take your clothes to the dry cleaners and you go pick them up, they usually have some sort of covering over the clothes, plastic. 
why don't they just give you the clothes, they're clean, and they just hand them to you? Well, because they know that you want these clothes clean and nicely pressed for when you're going to use them. So there's a, a degree of sheltering of these clothes that takes place until they're going to be ready for use. In the same way, greenhouses will start nurturing plants and flowers in a very, very controlled environment until such time as the flowers or plants will be used the way people want to use them. So we're very familiar with the idea of protecting things until such time as they're going to be used. The question is, how many people even contemplate how are my children to be used for the kingdom of God and how will they be best prepared to carry out that function and even more importantly, to succeed? And I think that your analogy there with the greenhouses is excellent because the reason the greenhouse is important is because if you take that same sapling or that same seedling, uh, which we could obviously analogize to our children, and you took that sapling and you put it outside of the greenhouse. Maybe that's similar to putting the kid in a public school or, or a non-Christian private school. The sapling is going to face difficulties, weathers, challenges, and the result isn't that the sapling is going to be stronger because of it. The sapling is actually going to be for the worse. If it survives outside of the greenhouse, it's not going to be any stronger or a better product because it was out in the wilderness. In fact, the sapling that was raised in the greenhouse, getting the proper soil, nutrients, oxygen levels, care, pruning, that sapling is going to turn out to be the better product. And I think that's the argument behind Christian education is that there is something about uh, those early years, that they need those roots and foundations, that extra care that's going to prepare them for post-Christian school better than if they were not in a Christian school. Right. And let me give another analogy. I'm big on analogies. <laughs> so everybody who's experienced having poison ivy or poison oak knows that it's not a pleasant experience. As a matter of fact, there's great care taken to let children and hikers and, and people who are going to travel certain areas know how to spot this plant that's going to make them very uncomfortable. And so would you say that the child who has never gotten poison ivy until he was 18 years old, let's say he walks into a poison ivy patch, is better or worse off than the child who grew up playing in it? I think that the child who gets it later in life is going to be better off. Later in life, he knows how to deal with it. Maybe he's in a position to do some research and find out there are lots of different ways to treat it. And more importantly, has a foundation that says, okay, I accidentally walked in here, but I knew it was here. I knew it might be a danger because I had been educated that way. And so when parents and teachers in a Christian school who are faithfully applying the word of God, they let children know, guess what? There are people in the society who hate the image of God in man so much that they advocate for the killing of children in the womb. There are people who, because they don't believe the Bible, 
don't believe that God created man in his image, and they think a big explosion happened, and everything is as a result of that explosion, and people are no different than animals. You see, by communicating the real world of the scripture, these children are better prepared to at least know what the problem is in terms of what they're likely to face. And I'm glad you used that phrase, real world, because that's the, the distinction that po- folks who are critical of early Christian education are making. They're saying once the child gets out of the Christian school, there's this culture shock. Once they get into the real world and that the real world will overcome them. And I think that that's the mistake. That's the eschatological uh, you know, short-sightedness of modern Christianity. The real world is the world where Christ is king. The real world is the world where the Lord is ruler of all powers and dominions in this world. The real world is every knee bows and every tongue confesses at Jesus Christ. And so we need to prepare our children for the real world. And we need to get rid of this idea that we are just losers in history. That somehow our children, once they've been equipped with the full armor of God, with the word of God under their arm, with the tongue that has been reciting these victory speeches for 15, 20 years, that somehow they'll be overcome by the failing world. It's such nonsense to think that way. The culture shock, the challenge of the real world is not so much that the world is powerful and that our children are not. It's that we have trained our children to expect defeat. I think if we approach Christian education in the way that Christ expects us, going forth as conquerors, you know, no scorpion, no snake, no venom, no enemy, no weapon, nothing in this world can defeat our children who are rooted in Christ's victory. But if we approach the world as this great conqueror that's going to devour our children once they've gone through our Christian education, I think that speaks more to our personal views about Christ's kingship than about the power of the world. Exactly. It, it, it basically points out that you don't believe the word of God. Because if you believe the word of God, you would believe things that people are familiar with. If God be for us, who can be against us? that the gates of hell won't prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. So we don't believe it. Otherwise, we wouldn't think that there's somehow or other a problem with protecting children from a world and life view that is basically spending all its time, no matter what else is going on, posing the question that Satan posed to Eve. Hath God said, oh, really? Okay. He just doesn't want you to be as smart as he is. He doesn't want you to have the same power he does. Let's remember, Satan didn't care one bit for Adam and Eve. He knew exactly what would happen because in that regard, he actually did believe God. And he knew that if he could get them not to, then he would destroy them. So there was no love lost. He wasn't trying to help them any more than the enemies of God are truly trying to help our children. I think what is also missing from this discussion is that the options are not, am I going to shelter my children by putting them in a Christian environment, whether it's homeschool or Christian school, or I'm going to let my child go into public. That's not the option. The option is not, is my child going to be sheltered or not sheltered? The reality is, and we can see this more and more visibly every day, 
is that the public school, the, the anti-Christian learning environments are just as sheltering as uh, our Christian environments, except that they shelter and incubate them in a different worldview. So what I mean by this is that the public schools have a certain view of, of who God is. They don't want him anywhere near your child. They have a certain view about what marriage is, a certain view about, uh, like Andrea just mentioned, about how the world was created. And they're going to shelter your child. They're going to protect them from seeing any other worldview perspective. This has been done for the last 50 years, removing from any public school curriculum uh, creationism, any idea that the word of God has authority, any idea that Jesus Christ is king or will be victorious. Your child will be sheltered away from those things. And they'll be protected in this humanist, secularist bubble. And they'll be taught there is only one truth, that we were evolving from this uh, you know, primordial protoplasm and that we will become once you know, stardust in, in the future and that we have no meaning and no purpose, that everything is, is nihilistic. But whether or not you shelter your child in a Christian environment or in a non-Christian environment, sheltering is inescapable. And this is why uh, Rushduni's presuppositionalism, this thinking about the world is so important, because you don't have the options to choose your realities. What is objective is objective. And so your choices here as a parent are to be obedient to the word of God and to shelter your child, to give them a foundations in the Christian faith, as the Proverbs call us to do, as the word Lord himself calls us to do, or you're going to allow some other foreign entity primarily the state, the Department of Education, your local public school, to shelter your child in a view that is antithetical to the Christian religion. And what's going to happen is they will be sheltered in that, and they'll know nothing else but that. And then when they leave that non-Christian environment, they will be not protected, but deserved. They will be weaker, worse. They will be trained in the ways of Satan rather than the ways of our Lord. And some people take real exception to making it that black or white. And I think that's half the problem. Rush Dooney in one of his books called To Be As God talks about the spirit of the age. And then what happens with the modern church is that it adapts the spirit of the age rather than communicating the Holy Spirit that will always be in agreement with God the Father and God the Son, that there's no disagreement in the persons of the Trinity. But the spirit of the age says that people get to determine for themselves if they're male or female, or if they feel like they're male or female, or people get determined for themselves what it means to be married or not married. And see, if you're not teaching and preaching the word of God, then you're basically giving your soldiers, because the Bible uses many, many military analogies, you're giving your soldiers swords that have no sharpness to them, guns that have no ammunition that's going to work. And so it's really setting people up to be devoured by the enemies of God as opposed to prevail against them. And what we're setting our kids up for, and this has been discussed you know, between homeschool and Christian circles, is to be conformed to the image of the world. You know, many of even our, our Christian schools are taking their cues, their, their structures, from how public schools run. They're developing their curriculum. They're developing their teaching schedules, their grading processes. Everything is modeled after what the public school does. And we need to, as Christians, go back and look at what is the meaning and the intention of this part of education. And it has to be 
that we are raising up soldiers for the Lord, as you say, but it has to be that we're establishing arrows, right? The, the great psalm that talks about our children as arrows, as the quiver of the mighty man, right? This idea that our children are not a end in themselves. As much as we get caught up in this American ideal that main purpose of parenthood is to give a child a good education, that they might get a good job, that they might have a nice spouse and have a successful family, right? That type of success is always secondary to them finding their place in the kingdom of God. Their true happiness, fulfillment, vocation will be primarily found in that place in God. And if we read the Proverbs and we understand how God works, that those material successes, that true blessedness, that happiness comes when people find themselves inside the sheltering of God. The men become wise because they sit with godly men. The men become wealthy because they learn from God's wisdom on how to do commerce. The idea is all of the good parts that we want for our children begin in God's word and find their source in God's word. And there is none of God's blessings that can be found outside of God's word. And so if that's true, why in the world would we be looking outside of God's community, outside of God's word for success for our children? And I think that in our day and age, we just need to take a step back and look at uh, what we have been able to accomplish since Rush Juni's pioneer age in Christian education, and to look at what sheltering has actually done. I know that there are anecdotal evidences, and Andrea can probably go on for, for hours with stories of homeschool kids that outsurpassed public school kids, private school kids that outtested public school kids. And we can go through the very tangible results to say Christian education does better than public education. But then the other part of that is the arguments against our, our sheltering fall apart when we look at what a Christian school or Christian educated children have been able to accomplish for the kingdom in just this short amount of period. A conference I went to last week and they talked about the products of Christian schools and they had done a survey 10 years later after these classically trained Christian educated students had graduated. They went back and they, they surveyed them and they said, wonder where they are. How have they performed? How have they done? Have they got good jobs? Have they found good spouses? Have they been productive? Do they still believe the same things they were taught in their Christian schools? And what was very surprising and what was very remarkable is that it's not just slightly better. It's 20 to 40 to 50 points higher that people are staying in the faith, that they're believing the core doctrines like six-day creationism, the divinity of Christ, the, the call to believe the Bible as the word of God. Those types of values for the vast majority of people who get a homeschool Christian education or a private school Christian education, those values stick. Now, of course, there's always going to be exceptions because where sin is, there is rebellion. But the reality is even those who are living in rebellion were taught, and they're actively suppressing what they know to be true. And the statistics and the, and the polls are showing us that children who receive a Christian education are better off, not worse off, for their sheltering. And one of those statistics that I thought was interesting, and it reminded me of what's happening with Christian colleges, is that they said that a student who went through a Christian school was two to three times more likely to know a public figure of importance. So, you know, a politician, a, a national speaker, a business owner, CEO of a Fortune 500, 
that a Christian school graduate was two to three times more likely to know somebody who is of influence. And I think that that shows is that this bubble does not keep people in, but rather it trains them to be better leaders. It trains them to be the best of the best. It gives them God's wisdom. And so when they actually get out into the world, they rise to the top. They get to the top. They work for the best. They serve the best. They represent the best because they're following God's precepts, his laws, his ways, and God has already promised to prosper those ways. And they get noticed. I remember when my children eventually started taking classes at the junior college, the teachers knew automatically who the homeschool students were, people who had come from a good education because they were self-learners. And they realized very quickly that these were the students who were there to learn as opposed to there because they had nothing else to do. And both my daughters ended up being in position that they were helping the other students in their classes because they didn't know things that my students knew. So if you're just going to use the world's metrics on the things that people consider valuable, the training that people get in self-discipline, in being self-learners, etc., is invaluable. But that's not the major deal. If all we want to do is be better than the world, to be honest with you, that's not that difficult. But then we don't get much better than a better version of the world. The real issue with sending children and submitting them to an ungodly, unchristian, unbiblical education is it goes against their nature. They know, for example, that killing is wrong. They know that not being faithful in your word and in your promise is wrong. They know that girls are girls and boys are boys. But when you start giving them all these other things, it goes against what they know. Now, they're not always following it, but it's like telling somebody, you think that this is water, it's not really water, and you don't need water. And so you keep depriving them of water. But they don't start feeling so good afterwards. But, you know, they don't really need this water. That's what they've been told. Well, Jesus Christ is the living water. And so there's no subject that's really being communicated faithfully if the truth, the source of all truth, is eliminated from instruction. So people might take exception. Giving children an ungodly education is the ultimate form of child abuse because you're asking them to accept a schizophrenic view that inside they know is not true. That's right. And there's lots of sociological and and philosophical reasons why this is the way it is. I mean, just from a Christian perspective, the Bible presents a way of of raising children um, that is very similar to how Christian education functions today. There's this idea that parents have a responsibility to raise their children in the Lord. And there's this idea that children in and of themselves can't do it. Compare that to the public school who develops Montessori's or kindergarten student-led curriculums. There's the idea in the world that Johnny is a good boy, that he's basically good inside. We as good reformational Christians know that Johnny's rotten on the inside. And so from an education perspective, what is the purpose of education? So John Milton uh, says that the purpose of education is to repair the ruin of Adam and Eve. The world says the purpose of education is to really cultivate that inner goodness that's inside Johnny. And 
those two things can't be reconciled. And so when we go back to idea of sheltering, what the Christian school is doing is they're putting Johnny and calling him to be reformed and renewed and be transformed by the word of God into something different. The public school is sheltering Johnny into being a incubator for sin. It's festering and fostering those inner sinful desires. And so there is a diametrically opposed view of education. Now, we've used a couple of different analogies for this, but there's another one that comes to mind, and I think of a, a thunderstorm, right? So the, the world is obviously a whirlwind of activity, but there's a thunderstorm out, do we send our, our children out into this peril of the thunderstorm? And the, act, the idea is, no, we, we keep our children in, we, we give them umbrellas, we cover them, we give them warmth. We don't allow them to go out and be struck by lightning, to get wet, to get drenched, to get pneumonia. We let them come into the house. But what people who send their kids to public school are saying is, no, go out into the thunderstorm, Go out, face the lightning, even though it might take you and destroy you. Go out and face being drenched because, you know, you're going to have to face a thunderstorm in the real world one day. I don't want to be too overprotective. So sheltering is a matter of what are you sheltering them from? And so much of the scripture talks about protecting. And one of the the great sadnesses of this is that the people who end up in Christian schools or choosing homeschools are the people who understand this, right? The people who have committed to being good members of their church, being good tithers, people who understand the law of God. They're the people who are already leaders in the kingdom. But the people who most need their children to be in Christian education are what the scripture describe as the weaker brother. Those same people who, who are not quite sure about the future of their family, those people, we give them slack. They say, well, they're not really convinced of Christian education or they've only been a Christian for a few years. We allow the weaker brethren to be out there being devoured by the wolves, to be standing out in the thunderstorms. Our call as Christians is to recognize that the weaker brethren are going to stumble if they send their kids to public school that our children and our families are the weaker brothers, right? We need to bring our children and bring them into the place of safety. And so there is an imperative, there's a call, there's a demand that we cannot just be neutral or allow it to be a matter of conscience or preference. You have a call to protect the children, uh, to call to protect the weaker brother and bring them into the shelter. Otherwise, you're allowing stumbling blocks, of the world to get in the way and to destroy the faith that they are just barely holding on to. I like your thunderstorm analogy because what do most kids hate about thunderstorms? The loud noises, the right. <laughs> all of that. They're, they're really not as afraid of the lightning as they are of the thunder. And quite frankly, the thunder in and of itself can't hurt them. It just makes a loud noise. Whereas when you see the lightning and you know anything about the physics of it, pretty soon you're going to hear the clap of thunder. Well, most children aren't really as afraid of the lightning. They're afraid of the thunder. And where the parents come in and where Christian educators come in is let them see, okay, this is what you think the biggest issue is. And and, and 
the thunder is the kids going, but I won't fit in. I don't have as many friends. All these other people have friends. I don't want to seem like a dork when I get to school. You know, I don't know all the lingo. I don't know how to curse like they do. I don't know how you're supposed to dress. They're focusing on the thunder, which they're afraid of, but the real problem would be the lightning and what happens to people when they're struck by lightning. And so it's really important for the homeschooling parent and the parent who sends their child to a faithful Christian school, and I think we need to put that adjective in front of it, a faithful Christian school, is they better be communicating why are we doing this. See, when you shelter somebody from something, it's so that they don't get destroyed. But we don't have houses just to protect us from thunderstorms. Thunderstorms are one of the many things that we can encounter, but we better be doing something productive. We better be doing something to advance the kingdom of God and make sure our children know what they're being protected from and why we're protecting them. We're not protecting them just because we had nothing else to do today. Let's protect. We're protecting them because just like the clothes that come out of the dry cleaners or the flowers that were in the greenhouse, there's going to be an ultimate purpose for their lives, and we don't want them taken out of the game before they reach the fruition of that. That's right. And we have to remember the prayer that our Lord taught us to pray. And I want us to think about this in the context of where we're leading our children. Our Lord says, lead them not into temptation right? Lead them not into temptation, but deliver them from evil, away from evil. And so the parent who sends their kid to be a missionary, are you delivering your child from evil or are you leading them into temptation? The parent who puts their kid in a, in a public high school because they want to have friends, but has to struggle against the sins of, of modesty and, and bad peer influences. Are you taking your child and leading them into temptation? The child who is sent into a public school is going to face the temptation to doubt whether God's word is true, whether they should believe the carbon dating of the science book or the chronological dating of the Bible. Are you, by your actions and by your choices in education, leading your child into temptation or are you delivering them from evil? And so to deliver them means to shelter them, to protect them, to raise them in God's word. And there is no other place to raise them in God's word but in a faithful Christian environment, a faithful Christian homeschool environment or faithful Christian school environment where the child is taught and trained in those basic years what he ought to believe. The child is born basically choosing evil, right? He has that tinge of sin from Adam and his depravity teaches him, teaches him from his soul that he has a bend towards evil. The goal of education must be to remove those temptations. The goal of education must be to correct and to train, to discipline them in the word, to show them the way of life rather than allowing their soul, which will naturally do this, to choose the way of death. And what we're really seeing is that too many of the parents with the decision what to do with their children when it comes to educating them are not truly grounded in the faith themselves. Many have come out of an educational system which didn't have the Bible as the focal point of how we view the world, how do we make decisions in every area of life and thought. And so oftentimes they're more concerned with 
getting their children used to a culture that they're eventually going to have to be in as opposed to a view that says we're supposed to be culture changers. If the culture is a manifestation of the religion of the society, then what is the religion of our culture? And yet I see on social media, etc., people up in arms about the drag queen story hour, and they're going to protest it at their school, or they're going to protest it at their library. Huh? Why not seek to close down the library or start your own library? And not protest the school. Ask yourself the question, what could be the possible thinking of anybody who would even bring this in? Well, I think you know. You don't have to ask the question, why would they support this? Because what they're actually trying to do is indoctrinate your children away from there is a right and a wrong. What looks more wrong than a man dressed up, saying as a woman, but no woman I know, looks like that, and the point is to make a mockery of the image of God in man. And yet I see videos of parents holding their little ones and bringing them in with smiles on their faces. This is how depraved the culture is, and we're called to be culture changers, not to just bunker down and say, well, I'm going to keep everybody away from this. No, we're supposed to storm these gates, not just give in and say, well, what are you going to do? That's the way it is. And I think that's the excuse that people make. They they say, well, we're, this is the time we live in. We have to adjust to how things actually are. We have to live in reality, I hear a lot. But the thing is, is that when you look at your children, the Lord says that he gave those children to you. And so there is a, a responsibility right now on your soul that whatever happens to those kids, you know, our question here is, Am I just delaying the inevitable? And the better question is, am I doing everything that is in within my power, my resources, my control to prevent this from happening, right? If, if your concern is really that your child might go astray, the question is better, what does the Lord have to say about preventing this? What does the scripture have to say about standards? And in that kind of vein of thinking, I think there's a, a wager or, or a, a way of thinking that most people would would recognize that we need to kind of talk through that there are no Christians who accept Christ and think back and say, oh, I really regret doing that. You know, that famous wager, you know, there are no Christian parents who adopt a child and think, oh, I really regret saving this child from abject poverty or sickness. There are no parents who go through the process of pregnancy and have a child and think, man, it's really terrible that the Lord gave me this child. I wish I could get rid of it, right? There are, there are no parents in the same way of thinking who send their kids through Christian education and think, I really wish I didn't do that. There is no parent who trains their child in reading the scripture who says, oh, I really wish I hadn't done that. But there are lots of parents. And we meet these parents who, who come to the school with their children who have already grown up, who are kids who are in rebellion, who, who see children who are four or five years old memorizing the Psalms and Proverbs, the books of the Bible, the stories, who think, I really wish, I wish I had taken the time and discipled my child when they were young. I wish I had given them the instructions. I was at a conference last week and I heard a mother say, man, I wish my high schooler had been given a proper Christian view of science. I wish we had gone through those things. 
Now she's in the university and she doubts everything she believes because I didn't answer those objections. So I think what we're looking for in our culture is easy way outs. We're looking for excuses. We're looking to shirk responsibility. But the Lord is saying, I gave that child to you. The Lord is saying, it's your job to protect that child. Sheltering is not a bad thing. It's your calling now that you have this child. And so when we look at our responsibility towards Christian education, quit putting it, well, they're going to rebel anyway. Start saying, what have I done to prevent them from having an excuse to rebel? And that's a great way to put it because it's not a parent's responsibility when a child rebels. But if you have not taught them the consequences of that rebellion, then you have really bailed in your duty. And I'd like to say to the people who might be like this woman who you described, chances are if she was at the conference and she was saying this, she has repented of it as sin and now is doing something about it. If you messed up with your own children, if you lost that opportunity, there are other children who could use your help and assistance. One of the things that is most prevalent today across the country in terms of good, faithful Christian schools is that they don't have enough workers to help them because people have been putting their time and resources into other things other than Christian education. And so the Christian administrator doesn't have a lot of capital to attract the best teachers who can use what they are paid to support a family. In the interim, a lot of the parents who now don't have children at home, who don't have the responsibility of raising children, can go in and be mentors to parents who currently have children. They can work as teachers in Christian schools. And let's get away from the idea that what you get paid as a salary is the sole determiner of your worth. If there's anything that I've seen over the years, that the people who sacrificially continue to show up and be the teachers and administrators at Christian schools, for example, or families that said, you know what, we won't have two incomes and mom will stay home and she'll be responsible for the education of the children, they're making investments in the kingdom that will pay off. That they, They're storing up treasures in heaven. And I would like to make a plea for anybody, no matter where you are, if you feel, I, I get it, I, I regret what I didn't do and I'd like to help now, I'd be more than happy to help you figure out how you could plug into helping people in your own area. And who knows, maybe the children who you feel you have lost will witness what you were doing and come around and say, hmm, maybe I should pay attention. But I really think that's the future. We have to say, we've been invested in, and now it may be time for us to make our investments much more with a kingdom mindset than what is our financial bottom line. And when it comes down to the end of the day, when the Lord says, what have you done with this, with this child? What have you done with the, the gift I have given you and your son or your daughter? The Lord's not going to ask, did you give them enough friends? Did you give them enough football? Did you give them enough socialization. He's not going to ask them if they enjoyed their two years of middle school. He's going to ask, did you give them my word? Did you protect them from the sins of this world? And anytime we talk about obedience to God's commands, we also run the risk of sounding like, you know, we're being legalistic. We're saying that somehow that parents can 
you know, earn grace for their children by putting them through Christian education. We're not saying that. You know, there's nothing that a parent can do to add to what Christ has done on the cross. But Jesus said himself, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so just as a, a farmer sows a seed in the ground, it's only what he plants that he can reap, right? So just as, as St. Paul says that whatever a man sows, that's what he'll reap. So when you put your kid in a non-Christian environment, don't be surprised when a non-Christian seedling pops up. So with all that said, I think that we have kind of a responsibility to challenge each other, to recognize that Christian education looks different for every family, for different maturity levels. Andrea can talk about that there are a variety of ways to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. But what we don't have a choice on is whether our children will be sheltered. We must avoid this talk of our children being a part of this world, but not of it, and start embracing the idea that our children are over this world and conquering through it. Exactly. The enemies we face are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And whether it's in a Christian school or a home school, it's not like the devil doesn't try to get access and show up. And it's not like the world doesn't seep in because of influence. But we all bring our own sinful flesh. And so being in an environment that reminds you of your need to be sheltered under the wings of Christ, to realize that autonomy is not the goal, that I can do it on my own because none of us can. The goal is to be submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ and in doing so, be able to fulfill all the potential he has put inside of you to be a faithful servant. And so it's not like you have the homeschool or the Christian school and now somehow or other sin doesn't show up. It's the only place where it's going to be explained and identified for what it is, sin, an objective thing. And how do we find out what it is that constitutes sin? God's word is what tells us. So parents, be encouraged. You have the instruction manual. The curriculum's already been published. It's been around for a few thousand years. <laughs> right. um, so there, there is no reason. You have everything your children were given to you on a purpose. You were called to be their parents and their teachers already. So just embrace that and lean into the calling that God already has on your life and mature and recognize that this is where God is growing you to be, to be a better parent, to be a better teacher, to be a better Christian through nurturing and sheltering your children. Absolutely. And as usual, contact us through out of the question podcast at gmail.com. And I want to thank those who got in touch with me who said, hmm, this apprenticeship program for teachers sounds kind of interesting. The door remains open. I'm sure I'd like to have people in my area working and working the fields, so to speak, in my area. But the earth is the Lord's. And so I don't care if you're in Asia or you're in South America, you're in Europe, or you're in the Midwest or you're on the East Coast, wherever you are. We have the means to be in touch with each other. We have the means by which to train you to do the things that I've suggested that are possible to do. And together, if we posit the victory, if we say this actually could happen, we could change this culture that we're in. We could see Jesus Christ being revered and obeyed. 
I think we'll all be a lot better off than deciding that the best we can do is make sure our kids go to the prom or they get to experience intramural sports. <laughs> Thank you, Andrea, for all of your time today and for all of your work you've done over the years in this exact field. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.